to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. starting the book of James. There are three other places that I need you to turn to, so when you get to James, we're also going to be in John chapter 7. We will also be in Acts chapter 5, and we will be in Romans 5 as well. James is is an amazing man, and we're going to read the first four verses, and then we'll start from there. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In the book of James, this is probably the earliest book written in the New Testament. You know, a lot of times I know that we look at it chronologically and we just think that, well, hey, Matthew is the first book. Wouldn't that be the first book that was written? And then we would go to Mark, and wouldn't Mark be the second one? And Well, no, that's not how it happened in the New Testament. They had all these different writers, and so then when they compiled them and they put them within this, I don't know why they kind of mixed and matched them all up and all that kind of stuff, but but what we have here is James is probably the first book written in the New Testament. Some people a long time ago thought that James was writing this as a rebuke to Paul's writings, and actually it couldn't be that way because James has written it before Paul had written his. You'll see a lot of times Paul is, is, is very... Um, theological within his books. He's, he's setting things up. He's seeing things. He's addressing it theologically. And what you'll see here in James is James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is looking at things practically, and he's looking at things that, that you need to hear, that I need to hear, and he's kind of just writing them out and, and getting them off of his chest. It's, it's an interesting book. It's, it's very practical as far as when you read it, you're going to be like, wow, that's a great verse. Wow, that's a great application verse within my life. Wow, that's another one that I need to highlight. And again, that's not that he's not theological in what he's doing, but it's more of a practical day-to-day kind of a pastor. There's there's pastors that you'll come into that um, that love having these deep theological understanding and debates, and 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 they go just deep. You know, that's not me, you know. <laughs> Probably that would be like a, a Bert or a Nick Summer over at, at Calvary Chapel School, and, and they just love to get just knee-deep into just stuff. Well, my brain doesn't work that way. You know, my brain, I think that's important. I think you need to have people that are able to do that and do that well. But my my brain is, man, I, I just want to, i gotta, I got to live today. And, and what can I get out of this that's going to help me applicably be able to apply something to my day-to-day that I need to be able to do. And, and people are needed for that as well because a lot of us in this room this morning are like, Kevin, I I, I just need to know, man, I go home today, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bill. Kevin, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my relationship. And again, not that theological questions and debates can't help to answer those things because we need those to keep the pillars within what we believe in in a church there. But sometimes we just need to understand, how do I get through today? And I think the beautiful thing that James does here is he is writing to the new church, the very new church, and giving them just understandings of these are things that I see and these are things that I want to encourage you. 
As we go through this book, you will see some kind of relationship between this and a lot of times through what Jesus has taught even on the Sermon on the Mount. You'll see little parallels between the two of them. It's, it's really neat and interesting because as we go through this, you're going to understand too that, that James was Jesus' brother. I mean, he, he was the brother, the half-brother, obviously, of Jesus. He didn't have the same dad, you know, because his dad is God, Jesus' was. And so you've got James that is a half-brother of Jesus. And so again, as he grew up being around him, understanding him, and, and so as he continued to walk through that, he saw things that, that not even the disciples had seen. The interesting thing about James, too, is that he was not a believer while Jesus was alive. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus, that he walked with Jesus, he was in the same household as Jesus, but he had a, wasn't a believer during that time. James writes this book to the new church, the new church that, of Christians that are scattered. And, and what happened is after Stephen's martyrdom, being martyred, you guys remember he was, he was martyred. He was the first martyr Stephen was in the book of Acts. And at that moment, then the church kind of, the new believers, the Jewish Christians, they had to leave. Things were getting hot. And you guys remember we have talked about Saul turning into Paul and, and how he was going out and he was just killing any and grabbing them and, and separating families. I talked about that a couple months ago. How just we, we glorify who Paul was, but when Paul was Saul, he was he was a bad man. He was ripping families apart and he was killing people and he was he even had the coats laid at his feet when Stephen was martyred. At this point, too, then the church scatters and they, they're like, we got to get out of here. We got to leave. Otherwise, this is what's going to happen to us. So James is writing this church, this book, this information to that church, the new Jewish Christian church, as they are scattered, as they are heading out. Well, who is James? Well, James is, is again, what I'd said it before is he's a half brother of Jesus. There was four brothers, half brothers all together. And again, like I had said before, he was not a believer at the time. You can turn over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 1. In chapter 6, what happens here is, chapter 6, he's, he's coming and he's, he's performed these miracles for the, the group of people and, and people are just like all on board with Jesus. And then Jesus says, hey, look, you know, he tells them, look, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood, otherwise, you know, and then they all leave him. They're like, ah, I can't listen to this. And then he even looks at the disciples and says, you, you guys are going to stay too? And that's when Peter comes up and says, hey, I, where else would we go, Lord? For only you have the words of life. It's an, it's an amazing time within Jesus' ministry is Jesus has got everybody there. They are on board. We're ready. You are the man. You're just doing miracles. And we want all this stuff that you've got. And then all of a sudden he says something and he's not afraid to allow everybody to walk away. And then he moves into chapter 7, and, and after these things of what just happened, Jesus walked into, in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers, therefore, his brothers, the four that we just mentioned, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while in himself seeks to be known openly." If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe him. So here's his brothers either doing it out of, you know, political manipulation, trying to, to push Jesus into the light to try to see if he really is going to be this Messiah, or, or are they just trying to get him out of town because, look, 
we don't really believe you anyways, and we just kind of want you gone. That's the relationship that he had in his household. That's his relationship that he had with his brothers. Immediately in my mind, I think of, 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 um, of Joseph. You know, and the relationship that Joseph had with his brothers back in Genesis of how, you know, the coat of many colors and he was the favorite child and, and his family just didn't, just didn't agree with him. You know, he gives them a dream and says, hey, look, one day you're going to bow before me. And they're like, what? You know, we're not bowing before you, man. That's not how it works. You see, I'm the, I'm the oldest. You're going to bow to me. And he says, well, no, I, I had a dream. And you're going to bow before me. And I don't think Jesus is, is, has grown up in a way that he's doing the same thing to them. And I think Joseph at times was a little bratty probably as well. But I think Jesus is walking with them and he's just living his day to day. Jesus was just, was just perfect. <laughs> Jesus just walked. When his mom and dad said, clean your room, he did. And they said, hey, can you take out the garbage? He did. There was never a, putting it off to the side. There was no waiting. Hey, I got to finish this one level real quick on my game. It was. You better hide over there. Jesus just did it. Jesus never got mad at his brothers or his sisters. He never, he never raised his voice at them. He never yelled at them. He never got in fights with them. He just continued to, to love. Why? Because that's the very character who Jesus was. Again, Jesus was not a sinner. <laughs> we know that later in life because he, he died for our sin because he was sinless. So even when he was a child, he didn't do childlike things. We're still mature within how he responded to people, how he did the things. So again, so imagine you've got, you've got James who's growing up and he's just seeing this, this perfect child within his house. I can't, I can't measure up to what Jesus is. <laughs> And and, and as as an adult, you look at that and go, wow, that would just be amazing to be around him. Would it? I mean, would would you really appreciate that while you're growing up and you're stumbling and you're making mistakes and you're you're doing things wrong and here's Mr. Perfect walking in the room again. Oh, he's mom and dad's favorite because he never does anything wrong. You know, Jesus, why don't you go do something perfect again so I can try to measure up to that. I, th- I think a lot of times, again, as we, we put color to the pages as what we read here, that a lot of times we, we look at it from our side, but if you were really living within that, that area, w- would you have loved Jesus if he was your brother? It would have been hard. Because whether your parents are comparing them him to you or not, because that would just be human nature, or if you're trying to strive to something that, I mean, there's a lot of kids that look up to their big brothers. Can you imagine looking up to that big brother? I'm trying to match what he's doing and my goodness, I can't, I just can't do it. You got James just walking through his life and it, he's having a hard time. It's not until afterwards, after Jesus dies, that actually, Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, afterwards that, that Jesus came to James in his resurrected body. I think it's just a beautiful thing that he, he comes to his brother and he says, look man, I, I wonder what that conversation was. Was it James, man? I, I want you to know, and I want you to, to believe. I want you to be a believer. I want you to know that I really, I really am the Messiah. I, I, I know that you had struggles with me and problems, but can you imagine that conversation? Just the beautifulness of him coming, and then James just seeing his brother there, and and just dropping to his knees. And maybe there was repentance there. Jesus, I, I'm, I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? 
Would you just look upon me? I'm so sorry, Lord. And what a, what a wonderful just, the fact that Jesus chose to come to him and ask him to say, hey, look, this, this is me now. I think again, just the characteristic of their relationship. James is an apostle. In Galatians 1.19, Paul calls James an apostle. And he ended up being the head of the church in Jerusalem. Now this is not the, 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 the Jewish temple church. Again, this is the, the new believers. This is the, the first church was not just a whole bunch of people out there. There, there, there were Jewish people that again became Christians. Again, we've talked about that in the past that the new believers were mostly Jewish people. Okay, they hadn't really been reached out to the Gentiles. Remember that was Paul's heart is that, hey look man, you guys do the work here with them. Man, God's laid it on my heart to go, I want to go preach to the Gentiles. And that's really when it went out and it reached out to the rest of the world. So the beginning church again here is, is mostly Jewish people. They're, they're completed Jews is what we would call it nowadays. They, they, they understand that the law, they understand that Jesus is the one who, who, who perfected that law. And then they, oh man, Jesus is that it? And they recognize him as the Messiah. So that's the church that he is the head of. And you can go through the book of Acts and there's several conversations that they have and, and things and, and you can see where he is in charge of that church. Looking back as far as the parents, again, you've got um, Mary and Joseph. Again, we don't know how long Joseph was in the picture. We don't have a long history of where Joseph is. We see Mary throughout Jesus' life. We don't really know what happened to Joseph. We don't know if he passed away at some point or whatever. But we know that, that they were pretty good parents, weren't they? I mean, you've got Jesus, you know, Savior of the world. And, um, you know, I don't know how that... Anybody would have topped that in the neighborhood, you know. And who's your son? Well, he just, you know, died for the sins of the world. It's But, you know... But how's your son doing, you know? And so then you've got, you know, James is, is the head of the church of Jerusalem. So I've got one son that's, you know, saved the world. I've got one son that's the head of the church here, you know, and he's kind of knows a little bit of thing about the, you know, the scriptures and stuff like that. And then also Jude. You guys know the little book of Jude? It's a little tiny book of Jude. You know, Beatles wrote a song about it. Hey, Jude. And so he's... um so again, the Beatles even write a song about this. This is pretty amazing. So anyways, I didn't think about that. So you've got Jude is also one of his half-brothers, too. I mean, that's a pretty good list of, and we don't even know what happened to the other two and what happened to the daughters and all, but, but that's pretty good start right there. When you've got those three right there. So again, whatever they had been doing within the household, um, they were doing pretty good there. Again, imagining being who Jesus was and, and walking and living with him through his life. And, and so as, as James continues to move on, James was known as James the Just. James evidently was known as a man of high integrity. It wasn't just after his conversion. James was was evidently a man who understood, was in the temple, was praying, and and so eventually he even knew as there's another you know old church you know stories and stuff like that. He, he was known as having has having camel knees. And if you've ever seen a camel kind of walk, they've got these big old grungy things on their knees where they kind of you know sit in the sand and stuff like that. And so whenever somebody's a person of great prayer and they're always on their knees, they'll be referred to as somebody who has camel knees. And so he, James was just a man of prayer, a man who just continued to just pour out his heart to the, to to God and just continuing to search for Him. And and again, I, I referencing growing up with Jesus, being around Jesus. I don't think Jesus just started praying when He had the disciples. I, you know, again, we we only see that here as far as Him in prayer. But I, I don't think that just started. Hey, I've got a bunch of disciples. What are some checklist things that I need? I need to be making sure that I'm in prayer so they can see that. No, I think Jesus had a, a life of prayer. And I think that James, as he's looking on Jesus, as is, is he's seeing these things, and again, as Jesus is going to the temple, I think James' little brother's like, hey, I, 
I want to be part of that. I want to listen to that. I want to get in, into the Word, and I want to understand the Scriptures. And then I want to be, I see Jesus is a, is, is a man of prayer. He's always talking to his Father in heaven. I want to talk to God and I want to, I want to pour out my heart to God. And then, and then as he becomes saved and then he realizes that I have full access to the kingdom in heaven. Wow, what a difference that would make, wouldn't it? You grow up your whole life and you're, you're a Jew and you're, you're fighting and you're struggling to try to keep all the laws. And then once you accept Christ and you realize, wow, I have full access to all the power within heaven. And James immediately understands the value of that and he gets on his knees and realizes that's where the power is taken care of. It's not through my might, but it's done through spiritual warfare. And I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray for my countrymen and I'm going to pray for my family. And he starts going down and he is just, he is just praying. And then I think that's how you become a just man. When you're willing to be humble enough to before a God in heaven and say, Lord, I, I can't do it on my own. And I get on my knees and I come before God and then that's when God just changes that person within you, that heart that's within you and changes it and gives you the integrity that a man should have or a woman should have. And he sits there and he pours his heart out before God. James starts off the chapter in here and he says, you know, James, and again... uh, James, a bondservant of God. I think if I was James and probably most of us, I would have made reference in some sort that, hey, I'm James, you know, the brother of Jesus Christ. That, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, drop a little name here. Um, I'm not just James, but, you know, again, as Mary, I would have, if I was Mary and, and all, I would have, hey, you know, my brother saved you guys and, so I think as I'm writing a letter to you, maybe you should pay attention to some of the words that I might be saying here. Maybe I've got some insights here, you know, true insights that maybe you don't have. Um, but he doesn't do that. James, again, going back to James the just, James is just, James is just a humble man. He doesn't, he doesn't name drop here. He knows that his credentials come from God. His, his credentials come from heaven. And he just says, Hey, James, it's, it's, it's me. And, and part of the humbleness maybe is the fact that he's he's remembering back to his whole life when he wasn't a believer. His whole life is as he was walking with Jesus and he was like, all right, whatever, man. Yeah, you're God in heaven, your Father in heaven. You know, he's kind of looking at that and he's just like, he was just giving Jesus a hard time and he realized now that he's like, I, I'm, I'm not worthy to say that I was Jesus' brother. I, I'm just, I'm just James like you guys. I'm just John. I'm just Jeremy. I, I, I'm, I'm nobody. Why? Because I didn't take advantage of the fact that I got to walk with Jesus. I didn't get an opportunity. I, I, James could have been, James could have been the first disciple. Do you realize that? John, Jesus had to wait 30 years to the point where he was able to then first call his first disciples. James could have been that disciple. I mean, James literally walked with him. He knew all the information, and Jesus had to go outside of that. And I think James probably at that point, again, being humble, just realized, I, I'm just James. I, I'm, I'm nobody. But through the saving grace of who Jesus is. You know, and it kind of stopped me in my, my place, too, then as, as, as looking at it as, as, well, then who am I? You know, we, we look at it so many times as we, we look back through our life and, and we realize that maybe James was doing this too, is that he's looking at, man, I had all those wasted years that I, 
I could have done something with it. I, I've walked with God the whole time. I mean, there's there's insights, there's things that I could have changed within my life. And, and I think sometimes we look at the same thing in our lives too. We look at it and we're, we wake up this morning and um, this is not where I thought I would be at at this point in my life. I had some dreams. I wanted to be here. I was going to do that. And and now I'm, I'm not. It's not exactly, you know, uh, uh, an injury happened. Uh, uh, I lost everything. I made some poor choices back then, and and so, and I made another poor choice, and then another poor choice, and 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 here I am today, this morning, and this isn't this is where I want to be. And I think James, at some point too, probably had looked at that as well and said, you know, I just I wasted all that time, and maybe you've wasted time. But can I tell you something? It, that that's in the past. You ever remember, you remember the Lion King and the little monkey? What's the little monkey's name? Rafiki. 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 And he smacks Simba in the head when he's whining about, you know, he can't go back home. And he's like, hits him in the head. And he's like, why'd you do that? And he's like, what does it matter? And he's like, that's in the past, you know? And so again, you look at your life and some smacking your head this morning. Well, what does it matter what you did in the past? What are you going to do today? Where, where James looks at it and goes, I, I can't change the things that happened in the past. You can't change the thing that have happened in the past. But what are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? James completely changed everything. He went from a non-believer. He sees Jesus. He falls to his knees. I'm guessing that's how it happened. And then all of a sudden, he changes his direction in the course of history. James ends up then being the head of the church in Jerusalem, making definite decisions and things like that of how the church is going to be guided. And then at some point, he gets martyred. Different, a couple different stories about how that might have happened, but um, but the point is today is where are you at? Are you willing to just allow the past to be the past and be able to look at today and look at tomorrow and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do for you tomorrow, today? I want to do more for you. Instead, James introduces himself as James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you guys are students of the word. You guys know what bondservant is. We talk about it all the time. A bondservant is just a willing slave. Yes, there was slavery back then. And and so at some point when the year, I think it's the year of Jubilee, after seven years, everybody who was a slave was then able to be freed. Okay, it didn't matter if you were only a slave for two years or for seven years. At that seven-year point, everybody was free in the country. Boom, gone. Okay, so at that moment, you're like, hey, here's your walking papers. You're out of here. And they could say, no, 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 you've been... You're an incredible master, and I just I just want to stay here. Can I can I can I actually be a slave of yours? Can I be your servant forever? Well, yeah, you can do that. And then what they would do is they would take care of him, they would feed him, and all that kind of stuff. You'd have to take your I don't know, you'd have to have a big earlobe, I guess, and then they would put a little awl on your thing, and they would smack it, and that would just brand you as far as there. I would be like, can we do something different than that? You know, maybe a bracelet or something like that. You know. <laughs> A little brooch, but um, but something different than just you know that's going to hurt you know. But here he is, he's a, he's a bond servant and he's a willing slave. James says, "Look, I, I, with everything, I, I don't care. I'm a I'm a willing slave to God." And I think the most beautiful phrase in that is, "And of the Lord Jesus Christ." Again, coming to the full understanding and knowledge of who his brother was. That it's not I, I, I'm a I'm a believer. And do you want to know what a real believer looks like? That's it. When we, when we sit there and go, well, I'm a Christian, you know, we kind of, we kind of shrink down as far as that. But he's saying, no, look, I'm telling you right now. It's not just that I'm, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Christ. His name wasn't Jesus Christ. Like James' name wasn't James Christ. That wasn't their their family name. Jesus, the Christ, it's a title. James, James is recognizing that he's not only the Lord Jesus, but he's also the Lord of, he's my Christ. He's my Savior. That's who Jesus is, and that's who I've chosen to be a bondservant of. Jesus, is he your Lord this morning? Are you willing and able to say this morning that, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bondservant. I'm a willing slave of Jesus. These days we don't like to use the word slave, but are you willing to say I'm a slave of Christ? Whatever he calls me to do. Kevin, that sounds a little, kind of sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But are you willing to put, here's my hopes, here's my dreams, here's, here's my desires. Lord, they're, they're on the table. Because I just want to do whatever you want me to do. And if I get to do that stuff in there, then that's awesome. Praise the Lord. If not, I, I just want to serve you, God. I want to serve you, Jesus, to do whatever. The, the changes that you've made within my life and in my heart, I want to tell others about that. I want to tell others about just the things that you can do within me. And, and trust me, he'll take you to places and do things that you never thought that you'd do. And you will love it. For me, myself, I, I've been to Russia. I've been to Moscow before twice. I've been in the Dominican Republic. I, I love to travel. I would travel the entire world all the time. I mean, if I won a billion dollars on one of those lottery things, you'd probably you'd never see me again. I'd be like, see ya. You know, you'd have a big building somewhere. That'd be great. But I'd be gone. I mean, I'd be like, all right, I'm here. I'm there. I'm the pyramids. I'm at, you know, the wall, Great Wall of China, all that kind of stuff. I'd be gone. I just, I just would. I love, I love cultures. I love people. I love just all that kind of stuff. It'd be great. So in that, God is, God's given me some of that to do as well, which is awesome. He's also allowed me to go through things that I didn't really want to go through as well. We'll handle that next week. But are you willing to sit there and be able to put everything down and to be able to look at everything and say, Lord, here it is. Some of you are like, well, Kevin, you just said I don't make great choices, so you know maybe I'm happy to have the Lord make some choices for me. Well, good. That's the point. It's the point of allowing the Lord to be able to work in and through you to do whatever He desires within your life. That's the key. You know, Christine didn't convict me. She had to point it out months ago at this point. We were talking about prayer and all and how so many times we, we still interject our own desires within our prayer. Lord, help me to do this. Lord, help me to... And again, it's, it's not a point of you don't pray for your own things and yourself. I'm not saying that. But we're praying for more of my desire within God's will. Does that make sense, the difference there? Yes, you want to pray for the things that I need, and I want to pray for different people that I just want them to, to Lord, for you to work within their life. But ultimately, when it comes down to me praying for my, I want to, Lord, hear. What is it that you want to do if you desire in and through me today? How is it that I can just submit myself to your and that's a hard thing to do because, again, we have so many of our own wants and so many of our own desires that it's hard to be really to take your hands off the wheel and say, God, just just do it. Where are we going today? What are we going to do? So there he goes. He moves on and he, he introduces it to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. We just talked about that too, that the 12 tribes have been scattered throughout. This is just 12 tribes, just another name for the Jewish people. They've been scattered. He's talking about other believers and they're gone in a very difficult time that they were going through. So you've got, not only have you got that they're being conquered, they've been taken over and they've been split. The, the two kingdoms have been split. So now you not only have that, but you've got Christian Jewish people that just can't, 
the Jewish people don't even look at them. So it's like, I mean, Judaism, the Jews are very strong as far as nationalism, very strong as far as who they are as a people. But now if you become a Jewish Christian, now you don't even have that brotherhood there. You know what I mean? So now it's even harder. So you're in a world that does, has conquered you, that's taking you over, and now you don't even have the, the fellowship of your own countrymen. Kind of like in America, we're very strong as far as special, well, not right now, but um, typically if things happen, if somebody were to attack us or something like that, we'd be at like 98%, you know, everybody loves us, you know, we, we all love each other. Um, and so it would be like during one of those times and all of a sudden, oh, well, you're a Christian? No, we don't. And so you're in your own country, you're in your own world, but you have nothing. You, you have no fellowship, you have no friends, you have no people where houses were being taken from them. I mean, they're just, they're just, it's, it's a difficult time. They're struggling. The early church didn't have food and people were just, they were trying to get everything together so they could be able to feed people, be able to house people. I mean, they're they're going through a difficult time. It's hard. So then as we move into verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So so right off the bat, James is starting off, he says, he looks at them and goes, Hey guys, listen, my brethren, my, my brothers, listen to me. And he, he's using brethren here as, as a point of just, it's a soft approach to, to create community. He's like, look, I'm one of you. He uses brethren 15 times within this book. 15 times. Again, if, when our study, if something's mentioned many times, it's a point that you want to know what that word is. He's, he's looking at him saying, look, my, my brothers, listen to me. First of all, I want to let's say one thing to you is, guys, I, I, I know you're struggling. I, I'm struggling too. But one thing I want to tell you right off the bat before anything else is count it all joy when you face trials. And they probably read that, oh man, James has written us a letter. Oh, this is going to be great. Oh, he's a bondster. Oh, Jesus Christ. He's, what a servant that guy is. And he's writing to us, the 12 tribes. Greetings. Oh, so nice of him. My brethren. Oh gosh, this guy is so great. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Oh. This, evidently things are better in Jerusalem than they are here because uh, he doesn't know what we're going through. Christian, what are you going through today? As he's looking at them and he's saying, no, brethren, count it all joy. Consider it. I want you to deem. I want you to account this. I want you to think this through. I want you to, to, to look at this. And the joy here is, is the cause or occasion for joy. He looks at this, this difficult time that they're going to do. And he'll go, I want you to just look at this and man, just embrace what you're going through. And it's not a fake joy. It's not like, hey, I've got cancer. Oh, praise the Lord, you know, type thing. It's not one of those. It's not a, a fake joy that, hey, look, something amazingly terrible has happened in my life that I'm supposed to just, woo, you know, one of those things. It's it's a fact that it's, it is a joy of what is the Lord going to do in this. It's a joy of, of what could possibly glorify God through this. I not not what it what, what possibly could happen in it. No, it's man, I'm I'm waiting on expectations of what is God going to do through this situation. I, I, I'm sitting here and I'm gonna I'm gonna count this joy. Why? Because I know the struggles that I'm going through are, are for him and he's allowed it. When because it, it's going to happen, it's going to happen here. That's why he says when it happens, and through various trials. And this this is not a trial of of attempting you to sin. Okay, God, God doesn't tempt with sin. Okay, so if you see twenty bucks on the ground and you go to pick it up, oh, God tempted me to pick up that twenty bucks. No, He didn't tempt you to sin. That was your own flesh that picked up the twenty bucks. It was it was the fact that you you have an opportunity to do something. You're in a difficult situation, and you look through it, and you're either going to blaspheme and walk away from God, or you're going to draw closer to God. Which which one are you going to do? 
Which one, which avenue are you going to take? Or am I going to, and now God may use those times of sin to be able to move it to his side of it too and then call you on the court there. But he's looking at it and saying, no, I'm going to, I'm going to allow this trial to come into your life. Why? Because I want to strengthen you and where you're at. You go over real quick to Acts chapter five. <clears throat> Acts chapter five. Acts 5, verse 40. <laughs> the apostles here, are they've just got done preaching, and the, the council, the Jewish council came along, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? You're not allowed to do that. And um, and so they're, they're now the council's debating. They throw them in jail, as any good government would do for people who are praising Jesus. And so they throw them in jail, and they say, hey, um, what are we going to do with these guys? And so they, hey, well, you know, let's just beat them and we'll let them go type thing, okay? And so in verse 40 it says, and they agreed with him and when they had called for the apostles and they beat them, okay? And again, this is not a beat them like, oh, you know, smack or something like that. This is like they're they're letting loose on them, okay? So they're beating them and then they command, they command that they should not go and speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So they sit there and they say, okay, go look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to let you go, okay? First, we're going to beat you though, okay? Just because... We can, and we're going to beat you real good. But then you're not going to be able allowed to speak the name of Jesus. Okay, so don't you think like some lawyer there would have been able to negotiate something better? But that's it. Okay, so we're going to let you go first. We're going to beat you up, and then hey, but I'm telling you, don't don't say the name of Jesus again. Don't preach that word. So the disciples, so they departed. Okay, from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple, because they they were such good listeners, and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Isn't that amazing? So so here you go. So now you now you take it to modern day, okay? And I always make fun of us, so I won't do that today though. But you take modern day, and here you are. You got thrown into jail, okay? Because you were at the beach and you were preaching Jesus, and they pull you into jail, and then they you know maybe you're in China or something like that where it actually would happen, and they and they beat you. Okay, and then they release you, saying you're not allowed to do that again. And the first thing that they do is they count it joy to be considered worthy to be beaten. How high? That is this. I think that's just awesome. You are like, what? You're gonna beat us? Oh man, this is this is awesome. I can't believe it. We're so worthy. We're worthy of the gospel. This is great. So they get beaten and they just walk out of there. You know, they're probably limping and they're whatever. And they're like, awesome. What happened to you? We got beaten for Jesus. What'd you guys do today? And they're like, well, I can't match that, man. We're let's well, let's all do it. Let's all just start preaching Jesus so we can get beaten too. You know? I mean, what a difference in just societies nowadays. Nowadays we're like. Did did you say something to me? Oh, that's not nice. You, you shouldn't persecute me like that because you said you know something mean to me. You know, what I mean, just the difference. You know, instead of we should be like, hey, they said something mean to me for Jesus. You know, I got cussed out. Woo! Praise the Lord. You know, but instead they got beaten and they looked at it. So the trial that they went through, they could have sat there and they could have walked out of there and said, oh God, I can't believe you allowed me to do that. I was just serving you and I was just ministering your name and then these mean guys came along and they beat me. See the difference there? So one person victorious within the trial, okay? The other person not so victorious. Why? Because they resorted back to their flesh. They resorted back to where they were at. The other one looked at Christ on the cross and said, I, I can never match that. Okay? I can never match that. But if you want to beat me because I'm 
I'm loving on people and I'm telling them who Jesus Christ is and that he died for their sins and that they can have salvation, if if that's what it takes, man, then you know what? Beat me. Why? Because somebody here is going to see the glory of the Lord within that. Do you see the difference from that? So they sit there and so when James goes back to you, go back to James, and he says, so my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Again, James is not minimizing what the Christians are going through. He's looking and said, I know what you're going through. I know each one of you is struggling just to make it in. I'm struggling to put food on my table for my kids. And here I am, I'm a, I'm a new believer, and I didn't think Jesus was going to do this to me or God, and here I am having, I just can't even feed my kids. I mean, how would that affect you? I mean, that would affect my walk with the Lord. I mean, like, God, I just can get, I know you said you'd provide, but, you know, can we provide more than one meal a day? My, my son is, 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 he's just crying. He just wants some food. I mean, when you put real life stuff on this, this, this is amazing. So James looks, I'm not, I'm not minimizing it. I'm actually telling you when you go through trials, you're, you're going to go through it. Jesus promised it. He said, look, it's going to happen. Okay. It's, it's just going to happen to you guys. It's going to happen to me. One, there's going to be persecution from the outside. But two, there's just the stuff of life. Life is hard. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Life is difficult. Life is not just a movie where you go that and then there's the Hallmark movie and then there's a little twist and then everything's happy at the end. No, it isn't. Well, everything's happy when you get to heaven. But in life, man, there's, there's struggles. There's health issues. There's relationship issues. There's financial needs. I mean, there's just, it's a struggle just to kind of do the stuff and then to still be able to look at God and say, God, I, I'm going through a trial. And James says, I, guys, I, I know you're going to do this. And, and so he looks at his brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work with you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He looks at it, and there's an old Arabic proverb. It says, sunshine alone produces deserts. You get that? Sunshine alone produces deserts. If we, here in Florida, we're betting to hit the dry season, if we only have sunshine every single day and it's 90 degrees outside, what happens to your grass in your front yard? You have no grass. Okay, it's just brown, it's dead, it's gone. Okay, it creates a desert. The same thing happens within our own life. If you sit there on the mission field, there's a story I talk about, you know, a lot of times we, we want those mountaintop experiences in life. We want to be on that top of that mountain and it just, we're sitting there and we're just minister. Oh God, you're just awesome. And you feel so close to him. You're just on a mountaintop. Okay. It's just, I'm having a great time with the Lord. This is great. And then you go back to the world. Well, guess what? The world is the valley. Okay. But if you're on a mountaintop, you ever been on a mountain? There's nothing up there. Nothing can grow on top of its rocks and its, its little weeds and it's just nothing can even live up there. Why? Cause it's, it's a mountain. You get water that it's just, it's just, the ground is terrible. And then you look down in the valley and it's all lush. You got these big trees down there and you've got green and you've got water. And that's where the life is. That's where things grow. And the same thing happens in your life too is you can sit up here and nothing grows up here. Well, oh, but I'm close to God, but you're not growing. You're just sitting there. Okay, so but when you look down into the valley where everybody else is, where life is, where the trials are, where the struggles are, that's where the growth is. And so as you head back down that and you start going back into real life, that's where the growth happens. That's where your real life happens. That's where your struggles happen. So he says he produces, verse 3 says, um, knowing that all this testing in the face produces patience. It brings about 
There's a result, okay? There's a work to it. Again, Christianity is, is, is an action word. It's an action word meaning you have to love people. You have to do something. And Christianity is also, it's producing. There's an action to what should be happening within your faith. So there's, there's a work to it. Joshua's football practice, he, it, practice produced toughness, right, Josh? It produced toughness within him. What is pain? <laughs> pain is weakness leaving the body, okay? That's what he got told at practice, okay? So when you're, when you're playing and you're practicing and you're in pain, well guess what? That's just weakness leaving the body, man. Get back out there, run another lap. Why? Because you're training your body to be able to endure something more than it wants to. Okay, the whole phrase, the old one for the old people is, is no pain, no gain. You know, you gotta struggle through life. You gotta be able to do something to be able to produce something. Well, what are you producing? You're producing patience. In the New Testament, patience is, it's the char- characteristic of a man or woman who was unmoved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. The patience produces the fact that I am unmovable. I am unmovable and steadfast within my walk with the Lord. I am firm right here. Why? Because I have been tried. I have been true. I am, I am there within what I'm doing. So I have patience and, and, and the Lord has produced this through different trials within my life. So as I get steadfast and I'm, and I'm, I have consistency and I have endurance and I have toughness and that's what it's created in me. It's created toughness. That when a, when a, when a battle or a, a storm comes along, I don't get nervous about that. I might get, I might realize, hey, you know what? I need to call on some reinforcements and that's when I get on my hands and my knees and I cry out to God. But it doesn't, it doesn't create something where I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Well, no. Why? Because pain is just, it's called weakness to leave the body. I'm, I'm, I'm strong. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get going here. Why? Because God's gonna do something within the struggle that I'm going through. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 5. So again, as as we know that knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, <coughs> James chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, this is the last time we'll jounce around, says, therefore, and this is a peace with God, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we we also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So right there it says, so look, first of all, I want you guys to know this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, okay, so we've been justified by faith, okay, by our relationship and by the work that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, okay? It's getting a little theological. I'm getting a little bird on you here, but you bet you guys can catch up. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace. Can we have peace without Jesus with God? No, right? Why? Because we're at we're at hostility. I'm I'm a sinner. I have I have sin on me. Can I go in the presence of God with sin? No, right? I'm, I'm a vapor. I'm gone because he can't have that in front of him. So through Jesus, I have that. So through him, whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so through through Jesus, we're able to come into the presence of God. And what do we have? We have hope in that. We have hope in who God is in that. So, and not only that, but we also glory, okay, this is Paul talking, so again, they're on the same page here. And we and know not only that, but we have glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces what? Perseverance, patience, some of you guys might have that. And perseverance produces character, and character hope. So as you go through that whole flow there, it says, knowing this, that tribulations, the same thing that he's, James is talking about, produces patience and perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Character is who you are. 
character. So as, as you look at your life and you're like, wow, God's producing something with me. God's producing, uh, I want to pers- be able to persevere. And he's, he's, he's developing a character. He's developing who you are. But do you have that hope in who you are? No, it's in the hope of who? It's in the hope of Jesus Christ and of God. Because only God is the one that's able to do that. So as I sit there and I walk through life, turn back to James, and then I walk through life, and as James is telling says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but, okay, but, I'm telling you, listen here, it says don't get frustrated, okay, but don't get frustrated, don't get, don't get, don't get sidetracked here, okay, but that let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, so he says, but, look, don't, don't get frustrated. Okay, my kids are, are driving now. I'm talking about them, they're not here today. So they're driving now, so I'm, we're correcting. And, and when they're, we're doing things, okay, and we're trying to work on that, it's, it's hard as a parent to sit there and have no control over the car at all when they're driving. But it's, so we're developing, pr- pr- producing patience within ourselves as well. So it's awesome. And, um, <laughs> so, sorry, Lord, I just, Lied there. It's not awesome. Anyway, so, so when, when we correct them, we're trying to say, you know, just gently tell them, look, and, and you know, then they get, you know, they, what? You know, you, as, as we do as well, when somebody corrects you, you're like, what? What'd you say to me? You know, and you take it personal and try to tell them, look, look, don't take it personal. Okay. I, I love you. I'm really just trying to, you're, you're better driving than you have been. That's great. Just little things here that don't take it personal. We're just, we're just showing you something. And we really have tried to, on our side too, not be the parent conversation of just do this, do that, you know, of just trying to let them understand, explain this is why you do this, this is why you do that, kind of look for this. And so again, it's a point of within our life as well, as God is working within your life, don't, don't pull back and go, what? Don't, don't, did you just tell me to do something? You know, don't do that to the Lord. Allow the Lord to be able to work in your life and you, you sit back humbly and go, you know what, Lord? Okay, you're, you're doing something here. Okay? And I can either flesh up and, and shut you out, or I can say, Lord, what, what is it that you want me to do today? And I'm going to be able to receive that. So when James sits there and says, he says, but, and that's a big word there, okay? But let patience have its perfect work. Why? Because what we're trying to create here, the, the main thing that he's trying to create is maturity. God, God is trying to work maturity within your life. So as these struggles come in and as these, these things come into your life, God doesn't want you to sit there and just be a, a milk toast Christian. Okay? There's a commercial that we saw. I think it was yesterday. There's a insurance commercial. There's, you know, there's a little guy. There's not a little guy. He's a grown man walking around doing kid stuff. Okay. He's drinking his little sippy cup and he's sitting there and he's reading a little kid book. And, you know, the, the insurance company says, Hey, grow up, you know, get off your parents' insurance, get your own insurance or something like that, you know, and being in the car business. Okay. I see that a lot of times. So I'm like, it's just kind of funny. It was, he's, they're telling him, look, grow up. You know, you're, 35, you know, go get your own insurance or something like that. So, but the same thing, God would look at us and say, look, how long have you been a believer? How long have you guys sat just in this church? I know almost everybody here. How long have you guys sat in this church and have you grown? And I'll tell you what, it, it's, it's our job to help you to encourage you, to try to give you the tools, to try to give you the structure to be able to do that. But who ultimately was responsible for your growth? Is it Pastor Don? Is it Pastor Kevin? Is it the awesome worship that you hear every week? No, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to go, 
Man, what was Kevin talking about? James, man, I'm going to go over this stuff today because I didn't like a couple things that he said there. And you're going to go back and you're going to Berean me and make sure that the things that I actually said were correct. <laughs> or you're going to say, you know what? Man, I really have wanted to do my own study in, in Philippians. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing my own study in Philippians. And you're going to go online and you're going to get a concordance going on and you're going to do just a word by word study through Philippians. Well, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility so that when God looks at you and you get to heaven, is he going to go, good job, well, you know, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to go, and, and he will, he'll say, hey man, I, I love you, come on in, you know? But are you going to be like, gosh, man, I could have done so much more. There's so many years of my life when I first got saved to when I finally started taking it serious as far as studying the word, as far as being in prayer, as far as truly understanding that I wasted at least a decade of my Christianity. You know, and you look back and, and I could have done just like I talked about before and just wasted away and been like, oh man, I, I, I wasted so much time. Well, what would that have done? It would have wasted more time. So there's just a point in your life where you got to sit there and go, you know what? I'm I'm going to take this thing serious, okay? I'm going to take this Christianity serious, and I'm going to get I'm going to get into my word on my own. All of you guys are capable. I don't care where you at. I don't care if you, you know, didn't finish school. I don't care if you're a doctorate and whatever you got a doctorate in, you know, doctorate and doctorates, and and whatever you're at as far as that. Okay, it doesn't matter. All of us are capable of reading this word and understanding it. Okay, And again, some of us may have greater talents than others. That's fine. Okay, But you're responsible for the talent that God has given you to understand what you're supposed to read. That's your responsibility. And so the encouragement that we have then is to look at you guys and say, I want you guys mature enough so that when you read this scripture verse and you say, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I want you guys perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It doesn't mean that you're sinless. He didn't say that, that you're going to walk around and you're going to be like my brother Jesus and you're going to walk around sinless and everything's going to be perfect. And you're No, he didn't say that. He's saying within your walk, within your life, that you're going to be lacking nothing. Why? Because when maturity comes into you, and as you continue to look at the Lord and you say, God, here it is, here's the trial, and this is what I'm going through. And I'm going to be like those those uh, the, the apostles, and I'm just going to count it joy. And here I am, I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to cry out to you, God, I don't know what you're doing in this one, but I, I'm, I'm excited to see what you're going to do through me and through this problem so that we can just glorify you. And then as the world looks at me and says, dude, what is wrong with this guy? He's, he's going through this problem. And well, you know what? Praise the Lord. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what God's going to do through it. What's God going to do in me? There's a pastor down in, in Dominican, Pastor Julio. And, uh, you guys have heard me speak to about him many times. Uh, that's to the church that we've gone to the last three years. Um, he, his son was actually killed. Okay. But killed by gang members. Okay, I don't know the whole story behind how he got killed and all that kind of stuff, but but instead of this pastor going out and then taking his faith and throwing it to the side, okay, what he did is he took that and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find a way that we can get these guys off the streets and have them. The unemployment's just ridiculous down there because there's no jobs and there's no education, so there's nowhere to put them. So I'm gonna my my vision is I want to I want to open up a technical school 
so I can teach them a trade, whether it be welding or air conditioning or woodwork. Some of the woodwork is unbelievable that I've seen down there. And so they can get a job and get them off the street, and now they can start paying their bills, and they can start... So they don't have to go steal stuff, and they don't have to form these gangs to be able to go and do terrible things. So here's a guy, a pastor, who could have said, man, this trial is too much. I can't... Lord, I can't take this upon myself. And God says, I don't want you to take it upon yourself. Come come to me and let's pray about this thing and let's see how we're going to move through this so that we can both count this joy. And so now, Pastor Julio, would he have wanted his son alive? Yes, definitely. But if his son had to die so that hundreds of boys would come to know the Lord, maybe thousands over the term of the, the, the school being open, is, is that worth it? I don't know how to answer that because I've got two boys and a daughter. I don't want to answer that question. But in heaven, will it matter? Oh, praise the Lord. Look at all these brothers that are up here that never would have been there. So as you look through your struggle and you go through your time and maturity has come within your life, is that where you're at? So then, you know, when you, when you go through the financial difficulties that we all go through, I don't care who you are, there's financial difficulties. You could be well off and have job problems and you could be, you know, poor and not have job problems. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. I mean, there's, there's financials, finances of finances. I mean, it's difficult. But has the Lord met your needs? Your relationship struggles. You have estranged families. You have estranged, you know, marriages. You have, you know, estranged children. You have estranged estranged. I mean, you, you, well, all of us have got families. So we all have estranged problems. I mean, every family is weird, isn't it? I mean, we all have difficulties and that's just family, isn't it? I mean, look at Jesus' family. I mean, isn't it pretty strange there too, isn't it? But God can restore relationships. Is there a lack of faith within even your own life? And you're like, Kevin, I, I don't know if I can answer that question. I can't say that I have the maturity that when God presents these opportunities in my life for, for growth that I, can, that I can do that. Well, God restores. You, you just need to be humble like James and be able to realize it. And when you look at Jesus and, and he's there and we look at the cross and you say, Lord, I, I, I you know what? You're it. I, I, I'm a bond slave and I'm a bond servant to Jesus Christ. And hopefully that's the prayer for you guys today is that when you look at that, you'll got, you'll understand that God brings these testings into your life to strengthen you and to allow growth. And that you can go in and persevere through the problems and struggles in your life. And how about you today? I I hope that you're, I hope all of us have a relationship with Christ. And, And I know that, you know, I can't always say that. I don't know everybody's heart within the room. But today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you know, back in the Old Testament, it was the point that they had all these laws and all these restrictions, and, and it wasn't a point that it was a, a how-to and how-not-to, and it wasn't a point that, that God was laying these out because He didn't want us to be into heaven. What He did is said, hey, look, you know what? You guys don't really know the rules, and so I'm going to give you guys the rules, and these are the Ten Commandments, and you guys need to understand this. You need to understand what I consider a sin and what I consider okay to do. And so God gave us the Ten Commandments, and then we realized at that moment that, man, I, 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 can't, I can't follow those Ten Commandments. And the Bible says if you've, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. And so the same thing then goes with us. Is then God says, well, then I need to be able to provide a way for them still to get to heaven. That's ultimately my goal. 
Is I want them in heaven. So the Old Testament, you had a, a covering of the sin and they would commit, they'd have sacrifices and the, the blood would just cover that. And then finally, God's like, no, I've, I've got, I've got the plan of plans. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my son come to this world and live a sinless life and he will be the ultimate sacrifice. He will be the perfect sacrifice so that no longer like in the Old Testament where they would pour the blood and it would just cover the sin. Kevin, you've done something terrible and this blood would just cover the sin so then I could still have relationship and fellowship with God. Instead, he says, you know what? I'm going to send my son and he's going to live a perfect life. And he's going to live in a household with James and Jude and all, but he's going to live it perfectly without sin. And then ultimately, he's going to go to the cross. And when he dies on that cross, that is the perfect sacrifice. And when that blood falls from him, that blood actually will wipe away and completely clear out any sin that we've committed. The Old Testament, it covered it. The New Testament, Jesus comes along, wipes away our sin, as far as the east is to the west. And so today, that's the opportunity that each of us has. And maybe you're here today and you're like, Kevin, I've done it before, but man, I don't really know, honestly, if if I'm saved or not. You know, I did it somewhere and I was a kid or something like that, and man, I, I I don't know. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I've never done it. I don't even know who Jesus was before two months ago. Well, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. And I, I pray that I give you guys the opportunity that if you have not received Jesus as your Savior, um, I'm going to ask you to come forward at the end of service and just talk to me if you've got questions. There's a prayer that we can pray and um, we can have salvation today. And, and today is that day. The, the Bible also talks about when, when one person gets saved, there's a big party in heaven. They just, they just, they just have a party. They are so excited. They're like the disciples that got beaten, you know. But they're just in heaven. They're just like, oh man, it's party day. Let's go. Let's have a party. So today, that could be that your date as well. So again, if you don't know the Lord, please come forward. Talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. It'd be the greatest thing that I did today was being able to talk to you. Amen. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Doug.